All right. Today we want to spend a little time back in 1 Peter, this time chapter 3, beginning in verse 13. Let's be standing, please, as we hear this, the Word of God. Who is going to harm you if you are eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear what they fear. Do not be frightened. But in your hearts, set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience, so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ might be ashamed of their slander. It is better, if it is God's will, to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. For Christ died for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit, through whom also he went and preached to the spirits in prison who disobeyed long ago when God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built. In it, only a few people, eight in all, were saved through water. And this water symbolizes baptism that now saves you also. Not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a good conscience toward God. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at God's right hand, with angels, authorities, and powers in submission to him. May God bless the reading of his word. You know, there are times when I make a statement that I immediately feel like that I have to give some justification for that or to defend the statement, the truth of the statement. But I want to open the day with a statement that needs no defense, it needs no proof. Life can be difficult. Don't have to prove that. In fact, we could give testimony, couldn't we? We could just have, you know, spend the rest of our time lining you guys up and have you come by and you could, each one of us, each one of you tell us something about life that has been difficult. Life can be difficult. Sometimes it can be unfair. One thing about my position here and what I do is that I get to know a lot of people really well toward the end of their lives and spend some very honest time talking with them. And in that process, So many times I come away deeply impressed with how that person faced difficulties in their lives, how they were able to meet the challenges that were put before them. You know, if we just see each other here at church and say, hi, how are you doing? We think, that person has no problems at all. Spend a little time and you find out that everyone would agree that there are those times when life can be difficult. One of the things I love about Scripture, one of the reasons I believe that it truly is the Word of God inspired by the Holy Spirit, 
is that it addresses this reality in life. It doesn't whitewash over it. It doesn't push it aside. But rather, it gives us the ability to come to grips with the fact that we are going to have difficult times in our lives. And it goes on then to give us ways in which we can address those challenges. Peter is writing to a group. We mentioned this a couple of weeks ago when we first began looking at First Peter. He's writing to a group of Christians that there's a large portion of them who are slaves. Slaves in the ancient world who had become Christian. Now, I cannot imagine living a life as a slave. Talk about a difficult position. And their already challenging life has really been made more challenging by the fact that they have become Christians and so many of their masters, their owners, are non-Christians. And they're not real pleased with this change that has occurred in their slave. And they're not real helpful in allowing the slave to go and to worship with the church and to associate with brothers and sisters in Christ. They've got work to do at home. There's another group that Peter was writing to in this church who were Christian women married to non-Christian men. And back then, in that day and time, women did not have the status that God meant for them to have. They didn't have the privileges of society. They were dependent upon their husbands. And these non-Christian husbands... Many of them were not pleased that their wives had gone off and become Christians. And you can imagine how they threw roadblocks and obstacles and made their lives really difficult as the women tried to follow the way of Christ and to be who God had called them to be. So as Peter talks to them, He gives them a lot of encouragement. Some of it is very theological. You know, we need theology. We need these these lofty concepts to pull us along in life. In 1 Peter, for example, chapter 2, a very familiar passage, but as I read it, listen with the ears of someone who is really struggling in life, who is finding their day-to-day existence to be a real challenge. Peter writes, you are a chosen race. You are a royal priesthood, a holy nation. You are God's own people. In order that you may proclaim the mighty acts of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had received no mercy, but now you have received mercy. Another time in, toward the end of chapter 2, again, writing to people who were struggling and suffering and asking questions, why? Why do I have to go through this? He writes in verse 21 of chapter 2, for to this You have been called, because remember, Christ also suffered 
And he suffered for you. And in doing so, he left you an example so that you may follow in his steps. In other words, so that you may learn how to suffer as well. Well, that's good. That is good theology. We need those lofty concepts. But you know, there are times we just need some good practical stuff. We just need to know what to do now. If we're facing a hard time or a flat time in our life, what do we do? What do we do to make it through that time and to move on? I can tell you that the Bible is very emphatic in several of the stories and several of the writings that that time of addressing a difficulty in your life is one of the most key times in all of your life. The decisions you make at that very point will set the course for who you are, what you are, and how your life will go. Let me give you one story as an example, and then we'll get to Peter and his practical advice. One of the stories that stays with me, the stories in the early part of Genesis are given to us to let us know what life is all about. And uh, sometimes we get caught up in all the little details of those stories and asking questions about, well, how did this happen and how did that happen? Really not why the stories are there. The stories are there to tell us how to see life and what to do in life. The story I'm referring to is the story of Cain. Now, you may not think of Cain as being anyone that can give us some positive information, but really his story does. You know the story of Cain and his brother Abel. And how they went out to worship God and they each offered a sacrifice. One sacrifice was accepted by God, Abel's. The sacrifice of Cain was rejected by God. And Cain did not understand that. And he wanted to know why. And he was angry about that. Why me? What's going on? I don't understand any of this. And God came to him and talk to him. And it's interesting because what you might expect is God to come put his arm around Cain and say, let me explain what you did wrong, Cain. You know, you didn't put the sacrifice in the right place. You brought the wrong kind of sacrifice. You were not, your heart wasn't in the right place. We can think of all kinds of things. We don't really know what was wrong with Cain's sacrifice. But you would expect maybe God to come and say, okay, let me just teach you how to do this better and next time you'll be all right. That's not what he tells him. Listen to what he says to this angry man about the way life is treating him. The Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why has your countenance fallen? If at this time you do well, you will be accepted. But if you choose at this moment not to do well, sin is crouching just outside your door And when you walk out, it is going to jump all over you. Paraphrase, but that's what it said. Interesting. God says, Cain, right now at this time in your life, you're going to make some decisions that are going to change your life for the good or for the bad. What you decide in this time of difficulty, the attitude you choose And the actions you choose will determine who you are and what you are the rest of your life. Of course, all of us know the choice that Cain made, don't we? 
And we know that the rest of his life was basically a downward spiral. Well, how can we do better if when we run into some walls or we come to a fork in the road and we got to decide which way are we going to go? Well, Peter gives us some advice here. If you need, if you come to a place where you're going to have to do something different, make sure you turn right. Now, he's going to tell us three right turns to make here. And as he tells us these three right turns, and by the way, I am so glad I've got three points today. I, I've told you all that before, I think, but man, it just makes me feel like a preacher when I've got three points. Uh, I'm basically a one-point preacher, but I grew up on three-point preaching, and I, I just feel you know, validated when I say, okay, we got three points we're going to make today. I, I should have spent some time and tried to figure out how to make them all start with the same letter but I didn't. After first service, I did have one person come up and give me a suggestion, but you know, the PowerPoint's done, can't do it. Uh, If you can come up with with a way to make these all start with the same letter, then I will feel validated that you listened that hard, okay? (laughs) So anyway, what do we do? What are three things that we can keep in mind that are buried within this marvelous passage? This passage has a lot in it. Uh, the thing that we usually notice here is that, that Christ went to Hades and preached to the spirits in prison. And we like, let's talk about that. We're not going to talk about that, okay? We're looking for practical advice today. There's lots of things in here we could talk about. We're going to pick out these three points of what do we do when things aren't going so well? What do we do whenever we're frustrated? What do we do when life just isn't turning out like we really want it to be? Number one. He says, in your hearts, sanctify Christ as Lord. You know, when things start kind of falling in on us, we tend to think mainly about, well, let me rephrase that. When things start falling in on me, I tend to think mainly about me. It's just kind of human nature, isn't it? And I filter everything through me. And what I, how this is affecting me and you know, all this. And Peter says, you know, to you suffering folks, let me tell you this. First thing you need to do is make sure that you have sanctified Christ in your heart as Lord. Now, what does that mean? What does it mean to set Christ apart as Lord in your heart? Well, I can think of at least three things it means. One is that you make the decision that Jesus really is going to be your ultimate authority. Now, this is not an automatic thing. You can become a Christian. You can wear the name of Christ. You can be a member of the church. You can come and worship without ever having decided that Jesus is in control, that I'm going to look to him and listen to him as to who I should be, what I should do, I'm going to obey his commandments rather than my own commandments. I'm going to follow his wishes. I'm going to adopt his reality. Now, it's interesting that that Peter is writing this. A lot of them, like we said, were slaves. They knew what a master was. They knew what it was like to have a Lord. They realized that they got up every morning, their job was to do what their Lord wanted them to do. It's a little harder for us because we're free. We can get up every morning and do anything we want to do. Unless we've sanctified Christ as Lord in our heart. And our first thought, or at least the second or third thought during the day, 
is what can I do that he would want me to do today? That conscious decision that he is the ultimate authority in my life. Another thing about sanctifying Christ as Lord in our heart is that the Lord is our object of devotion. We are totally dedicated to him. We love him. His glory is of more concern than my own glory. And whatever I do, I want to represent him well. Just like a slave who lived in a household would want people to see that household as a functional household, as one in which their, their Lord and Master was a good man. Well, we certainly want to, as we walk through this world and carry the name of Christ, that everything we do reflects well on Him because we love Him. And we want people also to fall in love with Him. And one more thing that occurs to me If we have a Lord and we have really put him on the throne in our heart and sanctified him as our Lord, we trust him that he will give us what we need. Kind of like the rain, you know? We have been so frustrated over the past few months and yet holding on to that faith that in his time, he will give us what we need. And for us personally, we have to trust that he will truly give us what we need. The Lord is my shepherd, and I shall not want. He will give me the things I need to make it through. He will give me comfort. He will give me peace. He will give me the strength I need. And two things that the Lord always gives are two, one of the two things. He gives grace and mercy. And this is another thing that personally has meant so much to me. In the book of Hebrews, we find that if you come before the throne of God and you prostrate yourself before the Lord, he will give you grace or mercy. And those are two different things. I know I emphasize this a lot. I'm talking to myself. I've got to keep reminding myself. I hope you all don't get tired of me saying this. But those are two different things. Sometimes when you're struggling with something, the Lord will give you mercy. Mercy means he's going to take it away. He's going to solve that problem for you. You're not going to have to battle that anymore. That's what I usually expect and want when I ask him for something. You know, and there are times in our lives when he will give you that. But if he doesn't give you his mercy, he will give you his grace. And when he gives you his grace, he gives you the strength to bear up under whatever trial you are under. You can do this he says, because I will face it with you. And if we have Jesus as the Lord in our hearts, we trust that, that he is going to get us through whatever difficulty is facing us at this time, either with his mercy or his grace, but we know he'll be there with his comfort and his peace and his encouragement. Well, that's the first thing, the right turn. The first right turn that we make is we stop and say, okay, Who's in charge of my life? Is it really Christ? Have I sanctified him as Lord in my heart? The second thing may surprise you a little bit. Oh, we just read it. Have something to say about your faith. Be prepared to give an answer. Now, the way we normally use that is, okay, you need to have your presentation ready just in case anyone says, why do you go to church? 
Or why do you believe in God? You can say, well, according to Matthew, or, you know, and go over here to Romans, and, and that's good. If you can do that, more power to you. It's wonderful. We should love the Bible and get to know the Bible, and, and that's often a very helpful thing to do. Or perhaps you can at least say to someone, you know, I'm a Christian because Christ is a part of my life, and let me tell you about some times in my life whenever He has gotten me through. This is really what people want to hear. People want to hear, what has being a Christian done for you? How has it changed you? What has it done in your life? Now, that's helpful if someone asks you and you can help them with that. But when it comes to a time when you are facing difficulty in your life, stop and put your faith into words because you need to hear it. You need to hear once again what God has done for you. You need to have that perspective to be able to look back and say, you know, four years ago, I just thought that it was all over. And look what he did. He got me through. This terrible thing happened or this challenge or this struggle, and he got me through. He can get me through this one as well. So we stop and we put into faith our words. We're so good about just letting our faith kind of drift around inside of us and it's there and we're glad. But no, be able to say, here it is. This is what I believe. And this is what truly why I have hope. Because look at what God has done for me. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For thou art with me, and I know you're with me because you were with me last year and you were with me 10 years ago. For some of us, he was with us 50 years ago. How can we give up hope? Look at all that he has done. And finally, the third right turn to make is to live with a clear conscience. To set this as a goal that we're always going to try to turn right. Whenever we're in struggles, whenever we have tough times, the only place to turn is a way that leads us to God. Now, we don't make perfect decisions, but we've got to make the best decision that we can at the time and live with a clear conscience that at that point in our life, we were doing everything we could to please God. Now, as soon as we start talking about living with a clear conscience, I'll raise my hand and say, but okay, I wish I had done that. (laughs) What do we do with a conscience that's not clear? What do we do with a conscience that is awash in shame and guilt? Peter doesn't leave us hanging on that either. Toward the end of this passage, he writes this. Baptism which Noah and the ark and all that, and God saving them through that struggle in their life, baptism, which this prefigured, now saves you. Not as a removal of dirt from the body, but listen, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience. God cares enough about us that he can wash us and make us whole again. Now, those who have yet to experience baptism don't fully know that yet. But the truth is, that is the function or a function of submission to baptism, is to give you a conscience that is clear.
Now, it's interesting, too, that baptism, usually when we start talking about baptism uh, in terms of, uh, of power, we go immediately to the cross of Christ and how baptism unites us with the cross. But actually what Peter is talking about here is that all this power comes through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Just as Jesus rose again, as Paul said in Romans chapter 6, to live a new life, that if we submit ourselves to the will of God, that we can live a life with a conscience that is clear and clean and washed and made whole again. And we can face ourselves and our friends and our family and our God knowing that the shame is gone. Now, for those of us who have been baptized, and yet we raise our hand and say, now what do we do? Because my conscience has been sullied again. Reclaim it. The power is there to go back and to relive that moment and to once again pledge your heart to God. And as John tells us that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us of those sins so that we can live before him clean and clear. Three steps to make in the difficulties of life. Don't just buckle down. I know there's a lot of things we have to try when we're solving problems. There's a lot of things we have to do to get through those. But make sure we've done these as well. That Christ is Lord in our hearts. That we can talk about our faith to ourselves and to others. And that we are doing our best to live with a clear conscience. Whenever you run into a wall, make a right turn. Let's stand and sing.